Hello and welcome to episode 222 of the multi-non-award winning UK true crime podcast. I'm Adam. I'm delighted and super excited to announce my new venture. Nope, not underwear model, alas. And sadly, my call to the catwalk still awaits. It can't be long though, right, with my boyish yet mature good looks. It is the launch of a crime publishing company with my friend and author Catherine Yaff. It's for writers of crime fiction and non-fiction, aimed at genuinely putting authors first. That means no waiting six months for a response after all your hard work, and throughout the process we will treat you incredibly well. And if we go ahead and publish your book, you'll get an amazing deal. Interested? Whether you're an established author or still planning your first crime book, either fact or fiction, contact us today. Just head to crimepublishingnetwork.com, that's crimepublishingnetwork.com, to find out all the information. Or if you want to talk to me about it, just catch me via any of the usual social media channels. Today's story is from the true home of world football, Leeds. It is, I'm afraid, another shocking case of the theme we hear so much on this show. The consequences of just being in the wrong place at the wrong time. Before we start, as always, a huge thank you to all my supporters on Patreon, but especially those new members of this most exclusive club. That's Kira Barnes-Quinn, Ollie Sullivan, Lucy Hutt, Adam Busby, Nick Rogers, Lila Huntingdale, Winter Bittle, Tanya Matheson and Hannah Smith. Thank you all so much for your support, which is much appreciated. Remember to send me your mailing address so I can post you some welcome goodies and the competition for your free ticket to True Crime Live in Birmingham in October runs until the end of the month. Just join us at patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. This episode is brought to you by Best Fiends. Have you played Best Fiends yet? Let me tell you all about it. It's the game that everyone is talking about. Trust me, it's not like your normal mobile puzzle game. It's great fun as it challenges my brain with fun puzzle levels. But it's also a casual game, which means I can play it just for short periods whenever I have some free time which really works for me. And it's also something I can do for fun with friends and family. During these times of lockdown when it's hard to spend time with those we like to be spending time with, Best Fiends is a great way to have fun with my friends and family, even if we can't meet face to face. And even better for me living in a rural location is that I don't need the internet to play the game. The game, though it's made for adults, it's bright and it's colourful and it's fun, with lots of cute characters you collect along the way. The game always feels fresh, you'll never get bored as there's new in-game challenges all the time and new events every month. Engage your brain with fun puzzles and collect tons of cute characters. Trust me, with over 100 million downloads, this 5-star rated mobile puzzle game is a must-play. Download Best Fiends free on the Apple App Store or Google Play. That's friends without the R. Best Fiends. Let's set some context and play our much-anticipated Nowhere Guess the Month and Year game. Top of the UK and US charts this week was See You Again by Wiz Khalifa and Charlie Puth. <laughs> That's how you pronounce it. In the Australian album charts, the top spot was held by Kendrick the Llama with To Pimp a Butterfly. I'm a huge fan, oops. 
In the news this month, a boat carrying 850 migrants was shipwrecked in the Mediterranean between Italy and Libya, with only 27 people rescued. A devastating 7.8 magnitude earthquake hit near beautiful Kathmandu in Nepal, killing over 8,000 people and leaving over 100,000 homeless. And in UK true crime news, former Oxfordshire nurse Andrew Hutchinson was jailed for 18 years for rape, sexual assault and voyeurism involving unconscious women between 2011 and 2013, two of which took place at John Ratcliffe Hospital in Oxford. It's the stuff of your worst nightmares, that is, isn't it? Did you guess the month and year? It was April 2015. So let's get on with today's story. The night of the 15th of April 2015 was just like any other Saturday night in Leeds city centre before lockdown. It was bustling, with a whole mix of people descending on the city. There were locals, visitors and loads of students all out having a great time. One man who was out that night was 20-year-old Billy Mankelow. Originally from Kent, he had moved to West Yorkshire to study social sciences at the University of Leeds. He deferred his studies for a year following the death of his mum. Billy loved living in Leeds, as you would do as a student. It's a fantastic place to study. And he was working at a call centre in the city for Capita. And that night he was out with some of his work colleagues. Just for a few drinks, a few laughs and to have some fun. Billy was very comfortable with his sexuality. He had a three-year-old child from a previous relationship, but he was also attracted to men. That night, the group he was with ended up at the popular Viaduct show bar in the centre of the city. It's a fun night there, but particularly popular with the LGBT community in Leeds and the much wider local area. As the night got into full swing, the show bar was full of fun and laughter and even a little romance. Billy got chatting to a tall and handsome older man in the club who worked there collecting glasses. This was 30-year-old Richard Danter, a gay man with a partner, but known to staff as someone who lived a promiscuous lifestyle, and he often met younger men at the venue and left with them. Soon after they got chatting, Richard and Billy were dancing, and then they were kissing on the dance floor. When Richard suggested they went somewhere a little quieter, Billy was more than happy to go with him. Just a short walk away from the Viaduct show bar is an area of railway arches, known locally as the Dark Arches. Owned by Network Rail, they're a network of eight unlined brick arches beneath the station in Leeds, and the river air runs beneath and through the site. It is, so I'm told, well used for sexual experiences, and this was the plan here. Staff at the viaduct saw the two heading off towards the arches, but once they were there, something went terribly wrong, and Danta savagely attacked Billy in a short but brutal assault, where he kicked and punched him over 20 times. Just 20 minutes after leaving the bar, a clearly distressed Danta returned alone and confided to colleagues that he thought he might have killed someone. He had a very quick drink there, before leaving again, saying that he was going to deal with the matter himself. It was now approaching 3.15am, and although many people had gone home at the end of their nights, there were still people milling around the city centre. Danta hurried back to the dark arches, 
where he brutally attacked Billy and he tried to cover his tracks. He found Billy just where he'd left him, topless and bleeding heavily from the head, but he was just about alive. Rather than making any effort at all to help Billy, who desperately needed medical attention, Danta instead stole his phone, passport and other ID in the hope that people wouldn't be able to identify him. He then tried to drag the unconscious Billy by the legs into a much darker part so that he couldn't be seen by anyone walking past. As he did so, Danta was spotted by passers-by. As they shouted, he realised he'd been spotted and he immediately ran away from the scene. The passers-by came closer and located Billy and immediately called 999, staying with the unconscious young man until the paramedics arrived. To give you an idea of the state that Danza had left Billy in, when the paramedics were at the scene, Billy's face was so badly swollen that they could not examine his pupils or tell what his ethnic origin was. The surgeon who looked after Billy told colleagues that he'd never before seen such trauma that was completely focused on the head and facial areas. Billy had suffered severe brain swelling and he needed emergency surgery, but his injuries were really severe and worryingly his condition failed to improve. His dad and grandma travelled from his hometown in Kent the next day to positively ID him. It was incredibly distressing for them as they barely recognised Billy because his injuries were so severe. Tragically, as he still hadn't regained consciousness, late on that Sunday afternoon, the day after the attack, his life support machine was switched off. The cause of death was given as severe head injuries. Billy Mankalau was just 20 years old when he died. His life of such promise ended way too early and as well as his other friends and family, he left behind a three-year-old child with no father. Billy was described by friends and workmates as a genuinely nice person who was quiet and reserved. After his death, his family released the following short statement. It said, Billy loved life and had lots of friends. He was independent and motivated and went to study at Leeds University. Billy loved Leeds, a place where he made a life for himself and had lots of friends. Billy's family and friends are all distraught at the way Billy died, which was so senseless and unnecessary. Billy was simply out with friends, having a good time with his life ahead of him. A number of tributes were given from his old college, West Kent. This college was shocked not just by Billy's death, but two others in his year group died in the space of two weeks. They were killed in a car crash on April the 12th. If you look at Billy's time when he was younger, there's pictures of him in the local press, and also his Twitter is still active, and I found it really hard to read his tweets, which are just so full of life. Including a tweet in February 2013, when he expressed his absolute delight at receiving an unconditional offer from Leeds University. Little could he have known that that was the place that he would lose his life. Detectives quickly arrested Danta at his home the next day. There were plenty of witnesses who had seen him with Billy, and so he was easy to trace. By the time the police arrived, he had disposed of the bloody clothes he'd been wearing the night before. Danta had admitted to his boyfriend that he'd smashed Billy's head against the wall and had jumped up and down on his head as he lay on the ground. 
Detectives wondered just what would lead a man to carry out such violence. And when they looked at his criminal record, they quickly saw that he had a string of convictions, including indecent assaults, and in 1998, an attempted rape on an 18-year-old man with learning difficulties, for which he was sent to prison for four years. But this hadn't stopped Danta from offending. In 2009, he'd been sentenced to a further 40 months in prison for another attack. It all sounds very familiar. He'd met his younger student victim in a pub. They started chatting and the two men got on well. The student had been drinking heavily, but Danta persuaded him to head off somewhere quieter for some sexual activity. They left the pub together, but as the student began to sober up, he tried to push Danta away from him. But Danta's a decent-sized unit, and the student struggled to do so. The mood quickly changed as Danta became increasingly aggressive, then grabbed the man by his throat and told him he would not get hurt if he did exactly as Danta told him. He told the terrified student he had a knife, and he threw the man against the wall, demanding he gave him money. The student was now sobbing as he gave Danta all the money he had on him, just £10. Danta by now was in a complete rage, and he said this wasn't enough, and told the man they would need to go to a cash machine, and he grabbed him by the arm and led him down Lower Brigat in the centre of Leeds. Luckily the student managed to break free and ran to get help. 25-year-old Danta was quickly arrested, but he wasn't able to say much as his memory of events was vague, because he had drunk 20 bottles of vodka mix and some shorts that night. At the trial for that offence, his QC accepted that his client had a bit of a, I quote, colossal drink problem. Danta told the court he'd woken up the following morning with the money and was shocked by his own actions. Danta was originally from Monmouth in Wales, but he saw Leeds as his home, living just outside the city centre in Armley. And when he was freed, he returned back to Leeds, where he would later kill Billy. Those who knew him spoke of Danta still having a big drink problem, saying that he was a nice, friendly man when he wasn't drinking. He was very amiable. At the Viaduct bar, colleagues spoke of his promiscuous nature and that he regularly picked up younger men. Others spoke of a more sinister side to him, a man who had a very quick temper and even at 31 would still get into unnecessary fights. It seemed that he enjoyed the violence. But there was no sign of remorse for what he'd done to Billy and no explanation for why he'd killed him on the April evening. Just why had he turned during the sexual encounter? Had the motive been robbery again? Richard Danter appeared in court charged with murder and he pleaded guilty. The court heard some distressing details, such as that following the attack, Danter had shown no regard at all for helping Billy. He'd even removed his mobile phone although it's unclear in his state whether Billy would have been able to use it. Danta was absent for most of the hearing. He returned for sentencing, handcuffed to a prison officer, while another watched over him. Sentencing him to life in prison, the recorder of Leeds, Peter Collier QC, told Danta, Whatever took place, there is no doubt that you subjected him to an unspeakable degree of violence. The surgeon who dealt with him said he'd never before seen such trauma that was completely focused on the head and facial areas. 
I do not accept that you didn't know he was still alive. You abandoned him there under those dark arches. You went back. You bent down to move him. Others who found him subsequently had no difficulty in immediately realising that he was still alive. You admitted to a friend of yours who had jumped up and down on his head and face. He did not die immediately. You left him where you had assaulted him, helpless and dying, and you went back to the nightclub. You removed and disposed of his phone. Whether or not he would have been capable of calling for help, I can never know. I do know that you did not call for help for him. Later you went back and you moved the body further into the arches, no doubt intending to make it more unlikely he would ever be discovered. The detective leading the investigation said that Billy, an innocent, caring and popular young man, died as a result of serious head injuries, received June sustained and what we believe to be totally unprovoked attack. His death is such a tragic waste of a young life, a life taken by a violent, evil and dangerous man who has a history of previous convictions for violence and sexual offences, who is now where he belongs, behind bars. So what do you make of what we've heard today? I've started writing this story so many times over the last couple of years, but have stopped on each occasion due to the lack of information that I was able to find about the story. But it still felt important to me that Billy's story was told more widely. After all, He was just a nice guy, living his best life with plans for the future, who happened to cross paths with a man like Danta on that one Saturday night. All the what-ifs about if the group had gone to another bar or arrived earlier, arrived later, it's just so unfair, isn't it? But unfortunately, as we hear so often on this podcast, it is in these fleeting moments when the decisions that we make, although they appear so every day to us, can affect our lives and those of our families forever. And if it hadn't been Billy, I'd suggest that a man like Danta, it would soon have been someone else with his vicious temper. I try not to think of Danta at all, but when I do, I just think a total lack of respect. The attack on Billy was obviously bad enough, but then he did all he could to cover his tracks rather than offer help once his temper had subsided. And even at court, he couldn't be bothered to attend through most of his hearing. I think that Danza's one of those people, that even someone like me, and maybe you too, who believes that prison should be, whenever possible, about rehabilitation, but with Danza, I'm quite happy to see him stay there for the rest of his life. Thank you for listening to this episode of the UK True Crime Podcast. Please head to the Facebook group to discuss this story or any aspect of UK true crime. Don't forget to go to crimepublishingnetwork.com, submit your idea for your fantastic crime book. And to support the show, catch loads of bonus episodes and see other exclusive content, as well as enter the competition for the free ticket to True Crime Live in Birmingham in October, which ends at the end of this month please just head to patreon.com slash UKTrueCrime. So that is all from me for this week. Thank you for joining me on the 37th most popular UK true crime podcast. I know there are lots of demands on your time, so I do appreciate it, I really do. Or as a particularly annoying work colleague says, appreciate it. Good to be perfect, right?
So on that pedantic bombshell, it's that time in the show that we all dread. Yep, that really is all. So until we speak next week, please do take it easy. And most of all, even in the snow, stay classy.